Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast. What's going on, everyone? I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation today. This guest is completely fascinating, and I'm really excited we were able to get Bryce on the podcast. And most of all, I was just excited to hear his story. And based on the little bit I knew about him going into this thing, I was absolutely intrigued to hear more. So our guest today is Bryce Weiler. He is a blind sports broadcaster. He is the co-founder of the Beautiful Lives Project. And if you want more information on the Beautiful Lives Project, check out beautifullives.org. He is also a disability consultant for the Baltimore Orioles. So he has a lot going on. He's had obstacles. He's overcome obstacles. And he's done it while also being selfless and helping those around him, which I think we could all use a little bit more of in 2020. So let's jump into it. Here is today's conversation with Bryce Weiler. Bryce, you've already accomplished so much, and I'm really excited to hear your story. Thanks for jumping on the podcast. Thank you so much, Colby, for having me on your podcast. Such an honor to be on with you. It's remarkable that you're a blind sports broadcaster. How does this work? I work off of the play-by-play broadcaster, and I work as on the radio broadcast, and I study the style of the play-by-play broadcaster that I'm commentating with and determine his or her style, whether they talk a lot, if they talk a little, and that determines how much I talk during the game because it's important to give the fans the opportunity to hear the sound of the crowd or the ball hitting the bat. And if I'm commentating basketball, I will make sure that there is a microphone on the basket so I can hear the sound of the ball clanking off the rim or swishing through the net. And I will go out and shoot on the court before the game to figure out if the rim is is loose or tight and how the ball is going to bounce off the rim. If I am commentating baseball or softball, I'll make sure there's a good crowd microphone by home plate so I can hear the sound of the ball hitting the catcher's glove and the umpire calling to pitch a ball or a strike. So if I'm making a point or saying something, I can say what that is, and the play-by-play broadcaster doesn't have to call that pitch. If I hear what it is, it makes the broadcast flow better. In addition, I will spend 15 to 17 hours for broadcast researching all the players from both teams. I will speak to a coach from each team before the game, and after doing this 150 times, I've gotten pretty good at it and know what I'm doing now. <laughs> are you using a lot of statistics? Are you doing a lot of storytelling in terms of, you know, the way that players have performed, What maybe like a batting average over a certain period of time and, and what they've done against certain teams? Is, is that kind of the, the stuff that you're researching to bring into your broadcast? Those would all be the things that I am researching, but it really depends on the style of the play-by-play broadcaster that I'm commentating with. If the broadcaster I'm commentating with likes to share stories on the labs of the players and coaches. I think that is often more important than stats because no one is necessarily going to remember a batting average and it changes from day to day. A percentage change from day to day. But people will always remember the stories that they hear about the lives of the players and coaches and the obstacles that they had to overcome. One of my favorite broadcasters is Vince Scully, and and that kind of goes into what you're talking about in terms of being able to talk about what's happening but tell stories in the process. And and it's kind of you go on this journey, I think, when you listen to Vince Scully. What is your preference in terms of the type of broadcast that you want to do? I would rather tell many stories about players and coaches and do less on the stats, but the play-by-play broadcaster is the boss. I'm just there analyzing the game. So you mentioned the sound cues. That sounds incredibly difficult. Kind of walk me through that process and and how that works for you. 
after I've listened to thousands of games, it isn't that difficult because how I broadcast the game is the same as when I'm listening. I'm paying attention to the same thing. When I go out and I shoot free throws on the basket, if I shoot some up short and I hear it get the bounce over the front of the rim, then I know that balls are going to typically bounce in. If you shoot it short, if the rim's tight and it kicks back hard and almost hits me in the head and I have to block it away, then I can tell the rim's really tight and it's going to come quickly off the rim. The same thing if I shoot it off the back of the rim and it comes back quick at me and I have to swat it away, I can I can tell that the rim's tight or if the rim's loose, it'll normally kick high off the back of the rim and bounce around for a little bit. So that's happening. That is something that I've learned after shooting thousands of free throws. So what's the free throw percentage? Do you know? I'm usually about 40% or so. My, my record before an Evansville home game where I sat on the Evansville basketball bench four seasons from 2010 through 2014 at the invitation of the former Aces head men's basketball coach, Marty Simmons, which changed my life and gave me the opportunity to experience sports and, and got me interested in doing what I'm doing now for people with, with, with disabilities. And I would always shoot free throws before the Aces home games. My record is, 12 straight free throws before a postseason game against Tennessee State that the Aces were hosting in 2013. That's incredible. I don't know that I've ever hit 12 free throws consecutively in my life. I want to hear about the experience sitting on the bench and and how that impacted your love of sports, but going back to the sound cues, on the other side of things, what's the most difficult part of that process? When, When the fans at a game start cheering really loudly because I typically listen to my headset at a very low level because loud noises hurt my ears. But when fans start cheering loudly, I can't hear the ball swishing off the rim or clanking through the net. And I sometimes need my headset turned up so I can hear the broadcaster that I'm commentating with. So I have to wave my hand around or somehow signal him or her to, to, to turn my headset up. So I love games where it's quiet or there's no fans or the fans are just sitting there. When it gets loud, that makes it harder for me. I would imagine most of these sporting events, not having fans or even limiting fan attendance would make your job easier. If they didn't play fake crowd noise, yes. So <laughs> I have listened to a few Major League Soccer games where they're not playing fake crowd noise. I am not listening to the NBA, which is sad because my friend Brad Stevens' Celtics team is doing well. But I am frustrated by the fake crowd noise and reason the NBA radio broadcasters cannot get the basket feed. I do try to listen to two or three innings to my favorite Major League Baseball broadcasters that I grew up listening to every so often, those being Mike Shannon of the St. Louis Cardinals and Pat Hughes of the Chicago Cubs, but the constant fake crowd noise frustrates me too much. I know as far as my Twitter feed, a lot of fans don't like the fake crowd noise, and and when they first started experimenting with that, I think there was a lot of skeptical people out there about what that was actually going to sound like. I can understand why they do it in some ways because you don't necessarily want to hear players talking if they're saying curse words that it's hard to cut out but major league soccer there were many matches where they did not have fake crowd noise and everyone really enjoyed it so i i kind of want to go back to the beginning was this something you were born with or did this happen at some point in your life i was born four months premature and when i was in the hospital due to being exposed to too much light or too much oxygen the retinas in my eyes detached which caused me to be blind I started listening to sports when I was younger, listening to the St. Louis Cardinals with Mike Shannon commentating on the radio and also Pat Hughes with the Chicago Cubs and listening to Brian Barnhart commentating fighting Illini football and basketball and Don Fisher commentating Indiana Hoosiers football and basketball. Whenever I received a a holiday present in 2003 of XM Satellite Radio, now Sirius XM Radio, that gave me the opportunity to listen to all of Major League Baseball 
in college athletics all across the country. And since then, they've added the NBA and Major League Soccer and basically every sport. So XM Radio really got me interested in sports. It's so fascinating to me to, like understand that you've never watched any of this and just the the radio call paints such a picture in your head that that you have attached yourself to sports and you've attached your life to sports i can't stand listening to games on television two years ago the 2019 super bowl i gave a speech in chicago to a uh, uh to a building um where there are uh, residents staying it's a condo building and I couldn't listen to the Super Bowl because the XM radio feed was 30 seconds behind. So I had to listen on television for the entire game. I still can't really tell you what happened. Like, I think somebody won 12 to 6 or something, and it was tied at 3 for a long time. (laughs) But I have no idea what happened, and I'm not joking about it, and it was frustrating. Wow. So did you gravitate toward uh, any teams, any players, like as you're kind of learning about these sports and having this picture painted in your in your head like how did what was your fandom like when i was younger i was a fan of the st louis cardinals the the indiana pacers and the indianapolis colts but as i have became a disability consultant for the orioles baseball team and tried to get that going with with more teams across the country i've started viewing teams in a different light as i see how willing or unwilling they are to do programs to help people who have disabilities and i'm not going to tell you which teams do a good job and which teams don't i don't i don't want to ruin or change other people's viewpoints of their team but i have spreadsheets on team's willingness how willing they've been to talk to me what they do what they do beyond the league standard how far that goes beyond other teams and how they rank i have all sorts of documents of all these things for all the leagues is it easier for you to follow certain sports i mean i I would imagine for instance at least for me at least it would seem like it would be easier to follow baseball than maybe like hockey for example Baseball, basketball, and softball are definitely the easiest sports. Basketball is a little more challenging, but baseball and softball are definitely the easiest two sports. You mentioned sitting on the bench and getting to be around a team and and just being in that atmosphere. How did that impact you even further as far as your, your fascination and love of sports? It gave me the opportunity to do something that I always dreamed about doing, of being a part of a team and being as close to the action as I could growing up. I knew that I'd never be able to really play sports since I cannot see. So what Coach Simmons did to give me the opportunity to sit on the Evansville basketball bench changed my life in in so many ways, and it was something he didn't have to do. And I think more college and high school coaches across the country should give people with disabilities the opportunity to be around their team, go to practices, sit on the bench, whatever might work in, in any sport, baseball, basketball, soccer, softball, football. Did you learn anything from that experience about the sport itself that maybe gave you a greater appreciation for it that you didn't, you wouldn't have otherwise known without having that opportunity? Well, visiting with the coaches was, was interesting. There were things that I learned about how the basketball game ran that I didn't know. For example, I didn't know that in the first half, the, the road team was, was always shooting at the basket by the home Evansville bench that I was sitting on. And in, and in the second half, both teams switched, and then Evansville shot on the basket by its bench. And that, and that works everywhere except at Vanderbilt Gymnasium in Nashville, Tennessee. But that, that was something that I never really knew. Yeah, it's, that's one of those things that you probably just take for granted when you see, if it, you see and, it. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I, yeah. It's like if you see the sunset every day. For my sure. My nonprofit staff wanted me to make, make, make a video on the sunset and how the Beautiful Lives Project bring rays of sunshine 
into people's lives. And my little sister had to tell me five times all the colors that were in the sunset because I kept forgetting or adding some. And we finally just ran and made the video really fast before I forgot again. But light orange and dark pink or whatever, and if there was even yellow, all that stuff just confuses me. <laughs> so the Baltimore Orioles, you're the disability consultant. How did you guys hook up? How did that connection occur? I got that through figuring out the email format for the Orioles and emailing the owner of the Orioles, John, or who's their team president now, and just speaking with him about how sitting on the Evansville basketball bench had changed my life and how I wanted to help people of all disabilities be able to live their dreams. And we've done many great programs. First, I ensured that Camden Yards, as well as the Orioles Spring Training Stadium of Ed Smith Stadium, was accessible for fans of all disabilities in 2018 on September 18th of that season the Orioles became the first team in sports to wear braille on their jerseys to honor people who are blind and to show the importance of people who are blind learning how to read braille and that is important because if someone hasn't been blind their entire life like myself I learned how to read braille when I was five they often don't want to learn how to read braille because they think people are going to look at them differently and they just don't understand how reading braille can open up the entire world to them again and that goes for other disabilities as well whenever someone becomes uh, disabled partway through their life it's it's always more challenging for them to adapt to that and then last season before two orioles home games we gave fans of all disabilities the opportunity to play on the field with orioles players and coaches before two home games at camden yards which made so many dreams come true what are the challenges for you never having experienced that versus somebody that has and then loses it? I'd say there's less challenges for me not experiencing it. Like, I don't really know what the colors are. Yeah. So when my sister was telling me the colors in the sunset, they didn't really mean anything to me. And I haven't seen my family ever anyway. So it's not like I really miss that because I haven't had that. For someone who has been able to see or someone who has been able to walk who is now in a wheelchair, just being able to do all the things they were able to do from walking around if they're in a wheelchair or if they can't see any longer or they're visually impaired, which is different than being totally blind. That means you can see a little bit, not being able to see things as clearly or having to use a cane or not being able to drive yourself and having to use Uber or even moving to a part of the country where they have Uber or taxi service because there are some parts of the country that do not have Uber. As far as day-to-day -day life, how much assistance is required? I can do everything from cooking to cleaning to using my computer. It talks to me with a screen reading program called JAWS that reads what's on the screen. I use voiceover on the iPhone that reads everything to me. And if there is something that I need someone to be able to see, such as reading me the directions on a microwave meal, there is a special app that people who are visually impaired or blind can use. It's called Be My Eyes, where a volunteer in the world can sign up and people who are blind call this app and, and it, it will ring various people, usually about 10 at a time, and anyone can, can answer out of that 10. And if those 10 don't answer, they will try to get 10 more. And basically people who can see help people who are blind do everyday tasks. And anybody who can see or anybody who is visually impaired can sign up to use the app if you're visually impaired or blind or if you can see to be a volunteer. You can do that anywhere in the world and it won't disturb you you'll just get calls between 9 a.m and 9 p.m in, in whatever time zone and country you are in and you help people who speak the same languages as you if you speak multiple languages you could help multiple people that is amazing and you just download the app and and you do everything through the app as far as volunteering and signing up yes it's an app you can download on your app store if you have an iphone or on whatever people use who don't have iphones um, Google Play, I think, or whatever that is on the Android phone. So you download that app, you sign in, 
you make a username and password password, which you don't necessarily have to use again, but but you should still save it. When you sign in, you say if you're going to be a volunteer or if you're visually impaired, they will show a short video for whether you're volunteering or if you're using the app, you can make a test call if you want or not. That's up to you. And that's it. That's incredible. And that's called Be My Eyes, you said? Yes. So how it works for someone who is blind, you can either use the back camera on your phone or the front camera, and you could, I guess, switch back and forth. I always keep it on the back camera because it just makes more sense. It's a lot easier than calling someone over FaceTime and having them try to show you something because you have to flip your phone around. Because if someone, if you have it set to where someone who can see is seeing of your back camera, you could just hold your phone how you normally would, and it's a lot easier for everybody. And as far as someone who can see, it comes through your front camera. Wow. I'm literally stunned at learning about this, and, and I'm excited to check it out. What's your go-to thing to cook? I like the sweet and sour chicken meal. I think it's from um, Marie Callender, and it's got sweet and sour chicken and rice and vegetables. So here's the thing. All these frozen meals say they have the same amount of food in them, but a lot of them don't. And <laughs> a lot of them come in the same size box, yeah. and they don't fill the boxes full. And it's not that bad if you get one of those smaller meals at lunch, but it's hard to go to sleep or to commentate a sporting event when you're hungry or to give a speech to your group when you're hungry. That's funny. I'm the opposite. I usually eat after an event because if I eat before, I get too sleepy. I always like to eat before I give a speech or commentate a game. One time I had a game that I was commentating at 5 o'clock. It was when some there was there was a little tournament in Evansville where some Division One teams came into play, and we were commentating the other two teams. Someone was playing Evansville, the third team, and then Evansville was playing that team in the nightcap. But there were two more teams. It was Yale and Buffalo, and I commentated this this Yale and Buffalo game that started at 5 o'clock Central time. And I didn't eat beforehand because the cafeteria wasn't open, and I got to the gym so I could shoot free throws on the court and talk to both teams' coaches. That's the last and only time that I've never eaten before I commentate a game. <laughs> and I try to eat before I speak, and sometimes I'm not able to because of people wanting to talk to me. And I don't think those speeches go as well either, but I, I get my way through it. We're in a pandemic, and for a long time we didn't have sports. How were you filling your time? I always find stuff to keep myself busy. I was going on radio shows and podcasts. We were setting up more programs for people who have disabilities. We started doing programs for veterans who have disabilities with the Beautiful Lives Project. And, and like I told you before, I, I view sports differently now after becoming the Orioles disability consultant and seeing how I can't get my friends Rob Manfred and Adam Silver from the NBA to set league-wide standards for what teams have to do and the struggles that I go through convincing these teams. So it doesn't bother me that much when I can't listen to teams who don't want to make their programs better for people who have disabilities and when their programs aren't up to the standards of the other league teams. But I can tell you that I am going to be a, a disability consultant for a major league soccer team next year. So maybe once that happens and we do some fun programs, I could come on and talk about that for a bit. What are the standards? So the standards that the league sets, I mean, they do certain things for people with disabilities, such as having at least 5% of your stadium with, with wheelchair accessible seating. But they don't really have very tough standards, such as putting food menus into Braille or ensuring that every team has noise-canceling headphones or a sensory-friendly room because the, the sports leagues, at least Adam Silver and, and Rob Manfred, who I've emailed and talked with a lot from Major League Baseball and the NBA, they are concerned about selling tickets, which is important. 
But for most people who have disabilities, it can be hard for them to purchase a high-level ticket or even to purchase a ticket at all because they aren't employed anyways because people don't want to hire individuals who have disabilities because they don't think they can do the work or they're scared to hire them. Whenever I was trying to find jobs, people that I was blind when I sent out cover letters, but people would find out by typing my name into Google and seeing pictures of me shooting free throws with my eyes closed because my eyes are always closed because I can't open them and uh, it actually hurts. And I don't really know why I can't open my eyes, just my muscles, I guess, never developed or I learned how to do that. Um, but so people, they would find that out. I was going to say see that, but then you'd say, well, you can't see that. And I'd be like, you're right. Um, I would, I would hear about that from people and, or I wouldn't hear back from people because they, they would find out that I couldn't see or they'd call me and say, Oh, we didn't know you were blind. That's so great. We're going to, to get back with you about this job. And then I'd never hear anything from them again. So I just started telling people that I was blind when I would apply for jobs or when I try to speak to groups about my life. And it's worked out really well because people have been able to understand that I have a viewpoint on helping people of all disabilities that many people do not have. You mentioned your friend, Brad Stevens. What's the origin of that connection? I've known Brad Stevens since 2009 when I was a student at the Indiana School for the Blind. The Evansville basketball game that I, set up, that I sat on the bench for was against Butler in November 2009. And I met the former Butler player, Andrew Smith, who unfortunately passed away from cancer a few years ago. And Andrew told me so much about Coach Stevens. I, I reached out to Coach Stevens. That was when you could find Coach Stevens' email still on the internet <laughs> when he was a Butler. I have known him so long that when I first met him, I had to type Brad Stevens Butler Bulldogs to find anything about him. Otherwise, I'd be getting something on Brad Stevens who makes bicycles. So that Brad Stevens got some, some free news whenever Coach Stevens became famous. Whenever Butler went to the 2010 Final Four, I went to their practices during the NCAA tournament before they played Texas El Paso and Syracuse. Coach Stevens cut me down a piece of net from the 2010 and 2011 Final Fours. We've been friends ever since then. I went out to spend time with him in Boston. The Celtics owner, Wick Grousebeck, has a son, Campbell, who is blind. So Wick is a big supporter of people who are blind and helping people who are blind find employment. And Coach Stevens and Wick have been great friends of mine. Also the former Louisville coach, Coach Rick Patino as well. Whenever Louisville won the national championship in 2013, Coach Patino gave me a championship ring. And when they went to the Final Four in 2012, he gave up his piece of net from that final four so I could have one because the players were cutting it down too fast. And when they won the championship in 2013, he had Gorgie Jing cut me down a piece of net. And just the fact that he would remember to do that. That's amazing. In the midst of a celebration was so impressive to me. And the same for the final four. What other special opportunities have you had with this path? Or maybe what other friendships have you been able to develop? I'm going to tell you one more on that. And then I'm going to make a, a comment on on just that as a whole. So probably another one that was most important to me would be Clint Hurdle, who's the manager of the, a former manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Clint has a daughter, Madison, who has special needs. Clint was the first ever Major League Baseball manager who was willing to talk baseball with me. We met in the Pirates dugout in Bush Stadium in 2014. I, I went over from Evansville and I sat in the St. Louis Cardinals radio booth with my friends, Tom Ackerman, John Rooney, and Mike Shannon and got to go meet Clint in the Cardinals dugout or Pittsburgh dugout. And we got to be on the field for batting practice and threw the ball around with him. Being able to do that was important to me just from, from hearing what his daughter has had to overcome. And, and Clint has always shared with his daughter videos about what I'm doing and, and tells her that 
you can do anything you can do if you set your mind to doing it because Bryce is a blind broadcaster and so many people told him that that he could not do that. I think too often people, they are curious about the famous people who've helped me in my life and, and they're they're important to me, but they're they're no more important than the students that helped me at Evansville with, with getting my food in the cafeteria, whether that be Maggie or Kylie or Colton and, and, and Andy who sat on the Evansville basketball bench, Andy and Colton did and commentated with me and, and shot free throws with me every day. Too often people get really mystified or tricked by someone who has fame or someone who has a a Wikipedia page. And I think anyone can influence or, or impact someone's life. You don't have to make millions of dollars or have any of those things. You just have to care and you just have to want to help people. So you are the co-founder, speaking of helping people, you are the co-founder of the Beautiful Lives Project. What was the genesis of this thing? How did you get the ball rolling here? That started in May of 2017 when I emailed Anthony Icavone, who's the owner of the New Britain Bees, and I explained to Anthony how sitting on the Evansville basketball bench changed my life. And I spoke about how I wanted to give people of all disabilities the opportunity to play on the court or the field with sports teams. So we did that with Anthony's New Britain Bees team in 2017. In 2018, we expanded to do programs where people who have disabilities can do things with art, learning how to do painting or sculpture, nature, going to zoos, cheerleading or dance, performing with cheerleading or dance teams, experiencing ballet, and so many programs across the country. We have chapter presidents all across the country in places such as San Diego, Raleigh, North Carolina, Dallas, Texas, Green Bay, and many other places. People do not need to have any past experiences working with people of all disabilities to be a part of our nonprofit. They just want to have, they just want to help people who have disabilities be able to live their dreams. That's the most important, helping people who have disabilities to live their dreams and also to break down barriers and eradicate stereotypes. We would love to have more Beautiful Lives Project chapter presidents in large cities or small towns across the country. We can teach them how to do fundraising, how to host events, how to find individuals to participate. Our website is beautifullives.org. Anybody could email me at Bryce at BeautifulLives.org, B-R-Y-C-E at BeautifulLives.org, or they could call us on our special BLP hotline number, 669-BLP-HOPE, 669-257-4673, 669-BLP-HOPE. Anybody who wants to volunteer can do that. We're always looking for companies to sponsor, people to host events in our categories, individuals who have disabilities to participate. And if anyone donates on our website, beautifullives.org, all of the money raised goes right back into supporting our Beautiful Lives Project chapters, helping train chapter presidents, and purchasing any necessary equipment for our programs throughout the country. That's amazing. And all that information I will attach in the information uh, section of this podcast. So you can find all of that there for everybody listening. Before I let you run, I've, I've got to find out, we both use this this sort of platform. Who's your favorite broadcaster? Who for you paints the best pictures when you're listening to a sporting event? Pat Hughes, by far. I grew up listening to the Chicago Cubs. And when I when I started listening, I was a St. Louis Cardinals fan. I still listen to Pat Hughes, even though I enjoy listening to the Cardinals more because my friend Mike Schultz <laughs> is their manager. When there's actual fans in the game, seats and no fake crowd noise going on, I listen to Pat Hughes a lot more, but I still listen to him for about two or three innings every week, and then the fake crowd noise drives me crazy. Also, the St. Louis Cardinals broadcasters do a great job, John Rooney and Mike Shannon, but Pat Hughes has really been 
so influential for me. I was able to meet him in 2013. He sent me some of his baseball voices CDs, which are on some other legendary broadcasters that I've enjoyed listening to, Ron Sancho, Bob Euchre, Jack Brickhouse. He's really a great, humble broadcaster. Bryce, as a Cardinals fan, I don't think you're allowed to like the Cubs. Isn't that, isn't that uh, the big rival? I don't really worry about that. <laughs> and, and like I said, I think about all teams differently now For after sure. becoming Baltimore's disability consultant. So I'm not going to tell you my thoughts on St. Louis, Chicago, the Kansas City Royals, or or any team in sports because I don't really view them as a fan anymore necessarily. I view them as what do they do for people with disabilities? How does that stack up compared to everyone else and how willing or, or unwilling are they to adapt whenever myself or, or other people try to share with them why they should do things differently or do more things. Well, Bryce, I've certainly enjoyed having the opportunity to speak with you and, and learn about the Beautiful Lives Project and, and just hear your story because I think it's pretty fascinating. Thank you so much, Colby. Maybe we can do this again at some point when I have more interesting adventures and things down the road. Absolutely, my friend. Take care. Thank you. All right, that was Bryce Weiler joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. Bryce is a blind sports broadcaster. He is the co-founder of the Beautiful Lives Project And he is a disability consultant for the Baltimore Orioles. If you didn't catch it the first time, the Beautiful Lives Project, you can find it at beautifullives.org. You can email Bryce at Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E, at beautifullives.org. The Beautiful Lives Project hotline is 669-257-4673. And if you want to get in touch with Bryce via Twitter, I highly suggest following him at Bryce Weiler. That's B-R-Y-C-E. W-E-I-L-E-R. And here's the other thing that's awesome. The app that he mentioned during our conversation, Be My Eyes, this is so cool and what an amazing concept. As soon as we finish this conversation, I downloaded the app and I've already signed up for it. So I would be more than happy to help somebody in need in such a simple way. So if it's something you're interested in, check it out. Like I said, I've already downloaded the app and it's really cool. So appreciate Bryce jumping on the podcast today. What an inspiration and, and what a selfless dude to not only face all the obstacles that he's faced and overcome them, but to consistently give and try and help others overcome their own obstacles. It's pretty amazing and a pretty great story. And I was glad to be able to contribute to him getting his story out. So thanks once again to Bryce Weiler for joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. That is it for this episode. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. Please rate the podcast, share the podcast with your friends. You can contact me via Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels. My Instagram is Colby.Daniels. Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. All right, I appreciate you guys. Everyone stay safe and I'll talk to you soon. Podcast is over.